Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can also find this show on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. You can also find any of the other shows we do. You can just type in my last name again, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O, and all four of the shows we do will pop up. So... That being said, we're back with Chad Newton. We're going to talk about East Side Fa right now. ESP, almost tripped over myself there. Sorry about that. From Nashville. So in the last episode, we sort of left off of why the transition, not wanting to just stamp out same concepts, multiple chains, similar concept thing, where this time you're sort of trying to venture out and have different concepts everywhere. One of the things we talked about before the episode started, we started recording, was your location, which is at the wash, which is a converted car wash they've turned into sort of food, I don't even know what to call them, they're food spots, but they're a little bit different than traditional, and you know, if anyone's listened to the Soy Cubano episode, uh, Javier, he's, he's a restaurant, Soy Cubano in East Nashville, is also at the wash, and so let's talk a little bit about this, Chad. Let's dive right in. We talked about why FA. We talked about why you picked that. But quickly brief the audience on why that particular style of food and also why you picked the wash as a location. Sure. Yeah. And so the wash is basically just a, a food hall uh, is the best way to put it. And so you have five restaurants and one cocktail bar. Uh, cocktails are amazing and then you have five different restaurants in there uh what they did is they took an old car wash if you can imagine the ones that you uh do your self-service car wash on you 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 drive in it's kind of like a cylinder blocked out you drive into one of the bays that they call them car wash bay and you wash your own car and drive out and be on your day so they took that it was an old dilapidated one on gallatin avenue which is the main strip in east nashville and uh, Tyler Cobble is the one that kind of created the, the concept and is part of the ownership group and the, the management of it. Um, and he's a developer here, uh, mostly focused in East Nashville, but all around Nashville as well. And um, he actually um, found us our East Side Balmy space uh, years before that. And so he had come up with this concept and given us a call and said, hey, I got this idea. What do you think? And I was like, wow, that's that actually is pretty cool. That makes sense. So uh, when they built this thing out, they took the car wash, they kept the bones of it. And so if you think about it, you have six stalls that are all exactly the same size. They just retrofitted them and built uh, a, a shell, which is about 300 square feet uh, of kitchen space inside. So on the wall is RFP. It's all coded out for kitchens. And the landlord provides a walk-in, the hood, three compartment sink, uh, grease trap connection, all that stuff. And so what they wanted to do was make it uh, a really cool little food hall where you could have um, different businesses come and try out their concept on a shorter term lease. So generally the leases are about a year. Um, and since that the, the walk-in, the hood, and all that stuff is provided, it's a very lower barrier of entry than you would to build a regular uh, restaurant. So for around $50,000, you can get in and get open 
here, whereas a regular restaurant um, would be around 500,000 these days. And so that's kind of the idea of the wash. Uh, it was to give uh, you know people an opportunity to try out their concepts and uh, give the opportunity to people that maybe can't afford to open a regular restaurant uh, an opportunity to get open and to serve people. And it's been really great. So it's a full outdoor space. And like I said, you show up and you can go grab a cocktail uh, or if you don't drink an N.A. drink, whatever, and go taste food from five different restaurants and just sit on this big patio and enjoy it. They got live music. Of course, it's Nashville, right? Um, you know, and things like that. So it's just a really cool spot to hang out. And that's why we got into it is that uh, when Tyler called, we talked about it and we, we kind of knew that this would be the perfect opportunity to open up a little soup stall. And that's the way we thought about it was a brand extension for me side by me and just so happened to be in a little food hall. So we thought of it as like an Asian food stall in Vietnam. And so Gracie and I thought about it and said, like, we've always wanted to do a little fuzz shop. This is like the perfect setup for it. So hence the idea of ESP came uh, to fruition and we were the first one to sign lease there as an anchor. And uh, we're going on year two there now. So that's kind of the story of how we ended up there and, and what the wash is fully. I um, I agree with this a lot. And I like the concept as well, like unifying a group of different concepts, almost like you would go to a food truck park or something. You can choose different foods, different yep. drinks. And, you know, you don't have to just go with the family and everyone gets the same food or the same concept. So. I love the idea, yep. and when I saw it, it really blew me away. And the fact that they took, basically, they were driving wash stalls for anyone that's like self-washing, and they converted them yeah. into five uh, restaurants. Maybe is it five? Yeah, it's five. I think I can't remember exactly. Five restaurants and one bar. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Five restaurants and one bar. So six stalls basically, and. Um, it's a really cool way if you're visiting Nashville to, I think anyone who's visiting Nashville wants to get away from Broadway and the typical honky tonks. If that's not, if you're looking for more East Nashville is the place to go. I think you'll find that there's a lot of great food and a lot of great bars and a lot of great concepts out in East Nashville. These are, these are some of them. That's why we're talking to Chad, but also the, um, this particular place, the wash, it's just so cool how everything comes together there. So, Chad, talk to me about the menu. Talk to me about what's offered there. Uh, talk to me a little bit for anyone in the audience that's seen pho but maybe never tried it. What exactly is it? Um, so let's start what it is first, and then let's go into what your menu is. Sure. So it's a Vietnamese noodle soup, uh, and there's a couple different varieties of it, but the most popular are, is the beef pho or the chicken pho. Um and basically, it's going to come with noodles, a really, really intense, rich, long-simmered beef or chicken bone broth that, again, is very long-simmered, has a lot of spices in it, like star anise and cinnamon and black pepper. And so you have these noodles and the broth and then the meat, and then you garnish it with very traditional garnishes, which is like Thai basil and cilantro and uh, green onions and lime and jalapenos. And again, kind of going back to like what we talked about, about Bon Mi in the last episode was like, you know, Vietnamese food and why it's so delicious. It has a spectrum of flavors that all work together so well. You got your sweet, salty, sour, spicy. Um, and it's just amazing. 
And so imagine just a big bowl of this really rich but clean broth. It's not like ramen where ramen's a little thicker and like has more body and more depth of flavor. This is like more pure beef or chicken flavor that's really clean. You can see through it like a beautiful broth you can see through it. Um, but it has like that deep, beefy, rich, unctuous flavor with a little bit of like hint of spices on it. It's just amazing. Uh, it's a great hangover cure, but it's also a great way to start your day for breakfast. And in Vietnam, that's what folks do is have it for breakfast. And it really will keep you going throughout the day because it has all that rich protein and a little bit of carbs from the from the noodles. But it's such a great dish. And people garnish it differently. Like it comes with a side of all this herbs and bean sprouts and lime and jalapenos. So you can put in what you want or what you don't want. And then a lot of people um, use a little sriracha and hoisin as like a natural like side sauce to dip the meats in while you're eating it. And it's just a great, great meal. And it's super traditional and just, just a beautiful thing. So we have that uh, there. And the menu in the wintertime is centered around the soups. Uh, in the summer, spring and summertime, we, we switch up the menu and we really focus on noodles rice dishes salads dumplings things like that and since the wash is a hangout place we have a lot of like little snacky items on the menu you know we do chicken wings we do um little dumplings we do uh bao buns we do a lot of fun stuff like that but again in the winter time it's mostly focused on the soups um and in the summertime we focus a little bit more on like uh the rice and noodle dishes and salads and stuff but uh, that's how we make up the menu. And also another important uh, component of the menu is our, our boba program. So we do a bunch of house-made beverages and we have uh, different boba drinks. So if anyone's not familiar about the boba drinks, they're little tapioca pearls that are so popular throughout Asia. And you put them in drinks um, and use these big straws to kind of suck them down. And it's just a different like textural thing, which a lot of Asian food, is that Americans don't understand is like a lot of it's about the texture and having these funky fun textures, if you will. So that's the, that's the menu at ESP. It's a, it's a small menu because it's a small space, but we're literally making soup, rolling soup all day long. We do our soups overnight there. Um, so they go for really, really long time. And we use a lot of great, great local bones from Bear Creek farm for our beef and, and all that. So. There you go. There's kind of a wrap of the menu and, and, and the concept. I love that. And I think that um, that the one of the major things that I just want to anchor with everyone, which is the last point you almost made, is that slow cooking of the soups, the broths, the making them, the getting the right flavor in there, that we're talking about an art here. Like it's not just quick mixing ingredients together in a pot and then calling it soup. There's tradition there's expectations no different than anyone who's had japanese ramen there's this thousands of years i maybe less than that but just as to exaggerate a little bit for emphasis is that you know there's this hundreds of years of tradition in this food okay we don't understand it as americans really because we don't have that tradition in our food and we get to benefit from everyone else's traditions but one of the things I will say that you touched upon that I think is important is the textures of the food. I think we're starting to appreciate it as Americans, but it's one of those things that the only way I can explain it to Americans that they really get it is why do you put Doritos on your sandwich? 
you know, well, you can eat them separately, but all of a sudden now it has a crunch to it or it has a new flavor at the same time. You're adding a different texture to your, your food. And I like that. I like the diversity of it. I like how it changes the flavor profiles. I like how, you know, there's all these different things, sweet, spicy, savory, you know, salty, all those different flavor profiles, you know, um, particularly sweet, savory, spicy, um, really matter, right? So if you're you're doing different flavor profiles, you're also doing different textures. It's a whole experience to eating. It's not just consuming for the sake of calories or for the sake of substance. It's the point of having an experience when you're with your food, having an, an education, an experiential moment. Um, so, Chad, talk to me a little bit about, you know, do you see either Eastside Bon Me or Eastside Fa growing beyond one location? I mean, we talked about getting away from multiple location units, but I'm just curious is because this one seems very uh, repeatable, for lack of a better term, it's small space, not a lot of overhead, um, rotating menu. Is there is is there that involved in this? Is there the idea of that, or it's just sort of no? This is what we do well. Let's stick with this. I think um, uh, for ESP, I, I would say it's just it's a little less uh, templatable, just because the the effort and the dedication that goes into those broths is not like exactly a very scalable thing, if you will. I would say that's the big difference with that concept. Yes, it's a tight, small menu, and it's great. Um, but I think that process alone is one that makes it not as advantageous or desirable for, for partners, if you will, to help grow it. Uh, the Bon Me shop, I definitely think is a, is a scalable concept and we've, uh, avoided scaling it to this point. Uh, you never know. I'd probably open another one if the right opportunity came right. That one's got to have a really great baker. It's got to have fresh baked bread. You know, so um, again, you're talking about some skill sets that just like making soup, um, you know, the whole bread program is a big piece of it. And yeah, there's ways around it. You could find a really great local producer to, to team up with. Um, but I guess it would just have to come down to where and when and, and how uh, to be able to make a decision on that. But I, I would say that out of the two concepts, um, Bon Me is definitely the more of the, scale, the scalable uh, one just based off of I think the soups are really hard to do, you know, ongoing uh, for a lot of partners. So I like it. I like it a lot. So I agree with you that unless you're like producing it or you have like a central production or a co-packer, it would probably be hard to do that on a, a scalability and, and getting everyone to understand the it's like ramen. It takes a lot to do that. And we used to mass produce it for a company called Ramen Hero. Um, the ramen and we yeah. produce the soups overnight and things like that. Um, but it's just a crazy scenario. Um, they did really well during COVID and then, you know, things hurt them and hurt us as a business when their business didn't do so well. But the direct consumer thing was big during COVID and it's now not so big anymore because of DoorDash and things like that and people going out to eat in restaurants just for the audience. So I anchor that point there and make it educational. The Let's talk yeah. about what you've learned versus Asian Box. Let's go back to both Eastside Bon Me and Eastside Fa. What have you learned 
in these concepts that you didn't know before in Asian Box? What, where have you grown? Where has your knowledge grown? And I know you have a hospitality company that's also uh, coming out, or that's not coming out, that you work with in coming out with new restaurants and, and launching those as well. But let's go to these two concepts. What What was the growth like here, and what did you learn versus what you had known in California? Yeah, I think they're a little bit like apples to oranges in a way, the the two concepts or just the, the makeup of them. So I think they are a little different. Um, I think like some of the marketing things that we've done here uh, and the positioning that we've done here has been really kind of eye-opening to us as what could work. But again, you're talking about two different, very, very different markets uh, where even, you know, like the uh, Instagram strategy, for example, is not the same. It wouldn't work the same way in both markets. So, you know, so maybe that's the takeaway is that some of that stuff is not universal, right? It's like, you know, we you need to really dive into your localized uh, marketing efforts and figure out what works locally, not, you know, nationally or universally if you don't have the the mega dollars to have, a, a you know, nat- national campaigns and whatnot. So I'd say that's a pretty good takeaway is just understanding that it's not a one-size-fits-all in those things. It's uh, – it's um, it's definitely like a little bit uh, different localized uh, on how your approach should be. But I think, we, again, we learned a lot about the whole marketing side of how to approach the industry and work within that to really get, garner support and then also give it back to people. Um, but the community here is so different. Like the restaurant community here is the least competitive I've ever seen. Uh, it's the most collaborative we've ever seen. And we know, you know, restaurateurs and chefs and friends from across the country, even in the biggest markets like New York and whatnot. And it's just it's just a different world everywhere. But Nashville definitely has that really tight, um, you know, restaurant community and industry community uh, and super collaborative. And and we've seen that to be a really, really cool, positive thing that I would say is a lot different than anywhere else that we've seen and definitely way different than it was with trying to uh, grow and scale Asian box in, in California and keep that running. They're just kind of different worlds. Where um, do you locally source the stuff as well for uh, Eastside Fa? And um, just out of curiosity, because we talked about it with Eastside Banmi, is it still the same mindset? You share the same sources you share? Because there are a few farms you can drop their names if you want. Uh, give them a plug that you do source with that, you know, the crew, like I talked about, met at the farmer's market. Talk to me a little bit yep. about that and how you source this stuff for Eastside Fa. Yeah, so we do get um, all of our beef and pork um, at Eastside Fa from Bear Creek Farm. Uh, so we get, and we have really cool add-ons too. So for, for example, uh, you can order a beef uh, and then you can add on Bear Creek Farm short rib to it. And you get a chunk of short rib that's like slow cooked in the in the pho broth <clears throat> with all the spices and everything. Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, so we work with Bear Creek Farm. Uh, Gracie loves to have a lot of vegetarian and vegan options on the menu. She just likes to eat cleaner. It's just something we've always done. She's better at it than I am. Um, but we always like to feature that. So we do feature a lot of vegetables from Bloomsbury Farm as well. Uh, from Lauren. So yeah, the story kind of continues. We have those two kind of farmer friends that we work with really closely and they supply 
a lot of stuff to ESP. So generally, Gracie's running a uh, a vegetable curry on the menu at all times. It comes with noodles, and she'll change up what the curry is. Sometimes it's yellow, sometimes it's red. Uh, we've done a green curry in the springtime uh, with tons more herbs in it. But a lot of times she'll just order whatever vegetables from Bloomsbury Farm and then just put them into that vegetable curry. And um, it comes out really great. So, yeah, we've, we've, we like to feature both of those uh, farmers at ESP as well. I like the seasonality there and embracing what's actually growing in this season. I think it's very important. It's something we used to do for our hospitals when we change the menus every three months in the long-term care homes and the direct-to-consumer meals and, and recommended for our clients as well. Uh, because I think yep. that sourcing locally is important, number one. Number two is it's better for the human body when we go with those things, the immunities, the the preparing for the winter flu or the spring whatever, you know, sinus infection. It actually, or allergies, it helps when we're using products that are local to us. Our body helps build immunities, helps it helps with its health when we are getting things locally. I don't know why exactly other than that it does work and it does there is correlations there and there are studies that prove it so the the thing that's really cool about what you guys are doing is you've been able to go to a new market in nashville which who would think in the middle of nashville you could source things locally the way that you guys are doing but there's a lot of farm country there there's a lot of farmers who are doing things in great ways regenerative farming organic farming or just doing things those ways without labeling that for marketing purposes and just growing food the right way and treating the animals the right way and really valuing the life of the food and the life of the animal so and particularly the the farms that you mentioned as well so yep yeah this is an interesting one and i haven't been able to wrap my head around it chad is how do you go from two Asian concepts to Shuiza, which yeah. is a quesadilla concept, and which I also believe is at the wash. And yep, uh, that's opened over the last few months, which I haven't been there since March, so it probably wasn't open when I was last there, but I'm not sure. And talk to me about how you guys came up with this concept, why quesadillas. And why expand into the same location you're already at? Sure, sure. Um, Suiza is like what we love to eat. And uh, after cooking all day long, all night long in San Francisco, that's probably where we would end up is at a taqueria in the mission of San Francisco. And you know that all too well, Justin, right? Um, yeah, exactly. But that's just, but it's also the other thing is like when you grow up in California, um, where we did, uh, where I grew up in Mountain View, which we talked about in the first episode. Um, you know, you eat taqueria kind of food maybe three, four, five times a week. I mean, it's just like part of life. And I lived in San Diego. I lived in Napa. I lived in the Bay Area. Um, and you have all different slightly kinds of different Mexican or Mexican-American food. And it's all a little bit different depending on what region you're at. But um, you got to taste so many really cool things growing up. And that's just what we gravitate, gravitate towards eating. And again, going back to like creating niche comment, uh, concepts and brands um, and focusing on like a singular item that no one really generally focuses on. Because everyone here focuses on tacos, right? It's all about tacos. 
There's Netflix shows about tacos. There's two local guys that do tacos so damn well here. They take, they get all their masa imported from uh, Mexico. They have masa programs where they're, they're milling all their own masa and making their own tortillas and they do tacos. And they're some of my favorite people in the whole city as chefs and owners of small businesses, but also some of the most delicious tacos I've ever had. I didn't want to open, I didn't think it was appropriate to open up a taco place. I just didn't. So I was like, you know what? No one is doing a really good quesadilla here. Yeah, all the taquerias or Mexican places have some sort of a quesadilla. And we all know this, uh, most of the time it's more of an afterthought. Like what kind of like cheap, cheesy airport concession doesn't have a quesadilla on the menu? Or what kind of big box brand like Chili's or whatever, TGI Fridays, doesn't have a quesadilla on? They always do. Uh, and the reason they do is because who doesn't like a quesadilla, right? But and they've always got the similar approach. They've always got tortillas yeah. and cheese laying around. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's like easy find, easy to find ingredients, and everyone loves them. So just like we approached the whole bon mi sandwich, we wanted to do the same thing, but with quesadillas. So we decided, which I think is pretty unique, to operate a whole restaurant based off of the quesadilla, and again have maybe a couple other things on the menu that makes sense, uh, but it's not going far away from the quesadilla. So we have tostadas on there, which is our gluten-free kind of choice because it comes on fried corn tortillas, which again, remind me of exactly what I used to eat in California, just super delicious. And then we have a big, uh, like kind of like taco salad that's gluten-free and, and all of them, all of those items can be vegan as well um, because you know there's no cheese in them or you can take off the cheese Whereas the quesadilla is full of cheese, you can't really do it vegan unless you want to source out some really good vegan cheese. But sometimes that's hard these days just for like the texture and the, the melt of it all. Uh, but we really wanted to open up a quesadilla shop because we thought it was really unique to be focused on that. And it just made sense. And they're delicious. And who doesn't like a quesadilla? And we could keep it within the price point. And, and the kind of the secret for all of our businesses is that, especially in the fast casual world, it doesn't matter the concept so much is that we use all the the uh, bones of like the financials and the business structure and just change whatever kind of focus on the food it is. So we're using the same bones and the same kind of program we would at the other restaurants. We're just doing it with quesadillas. And so Suiza was born and the name Suiza is just an easy way to say super quesadilla Suiza, um, which is spelled S-U-I-Z-A which is translated into Swiss. Uh, and that's the way you would get them in San Francisco is a super quesadilla Suiza spelled that way. And we spell Suiza here, S-W-E-E-Z-A, just to make it fun, playful, easy to say. And that's what it is. It's our ode to the late night taquerias that we used to frequent and grow up with in California. And we thought we wanted to share it with the local community here to enjoy a really great quesadilla that's really well thought out and uses the best ingredients and just, you know, is, is, is craveable. So. One of the things that I like about this, well, and I agree with you, if you <laughs> late nights in the kitchens, um, even in New York city, it's the same thing. Like, it's almost like you have the bodegas in New York city. You can get like the buffet food, but you can also get like any pressed panini or quesadilla and a lot of those places, at least you used to when we were building, you know, Brooklyn and, and doing a lot of late night work there. And even interestingly, in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, uh, where we're building facility there, 
and the late nights there, there was always like the late night like Chili's and uh, TGI Fridays had like ghost kitchens that were doing quesadillas um, for their business. Like you uh-huh. get to guarantee to get late, late food even if the restaurant wasn't open. They were ghost kitchen or whatever you want to call it, digital, yeah. um, like digital dining concepts or whatever. And um, so, what does the menu look like for a quesadilla concept? Because it, I mean, I, I have like a few ideas of quesadillas, but and people I'm sure make them all differently. But what are sort of the staples that you go with? Sure, and uh, I think that's what's cool about ours too. Is this style is really based off of. Uh, the mission style in San Francisco, the way they do the quesadilla. So a lot of the times when you get a quesadilla, everything is on the side, right? It'll come with like a scoop of sour cream, some salsa, maybe a little lettuce, maybe uh, a little guacamole, whatever. Uh, but it's usually on the side and then you get a quesadilla that's most of the time like barely kind of griddled, right? It's just lightly cooked until it's melted and cut up into triangles. Well, ours is a little different. It's a 12-inch flour tortilla. And we really pay attention to, to cooking it the right way and making sure it's super melty, but also making sure that the tortilla gets enough color on it so it really develops that flavor. And inside of it, we actually put everything in on the inside and kind of wrap it up into a portable way to eat it. So on the inside gets salsa fresca, so it's like a pico de gallo with tomatoes, onions, garlic, cilantro, a little lime. That's the salsa. Uh, it get, you get a choice of meat. And so I'll go back to the meats in a second because kind of explain that whole area. But so you, you got the, sorry, the 12 inch uh, tortilla on the griddle. You got Chihuahua cheese, which is this really like melty kind of salty mozzarella meets Mexican cheese, which is super delicious and melty. So you get a ton of that choice of meat. The meat's griddled on the flat topper a little bit and put in the middle of the quesadilla. And then on top of that, we put the sour cream, the salsa fresca and chunks of avocado that are literally like pulled out to order, holding an avocado in your hand and pulling out chunks with a spoon and putting it on there. And then it gets folded up almost kind of like a book and cut in half. And what you get is almost like a cross between like a burrito and a quesadilla. It's really, really a beautiful thing. Um, And so that's how our quesadillas come. That's why they're called super quesadillas because they have all that stuff on the inside. And we get a little funky and we add French fries if you want. Uh, so just for a little upcharge more, and that's where kind of like the California style comes in. I'm sure everyone out there knows about like a California style burrito, which is carne asada and French fries and all this stuff wrapped into a giant tortilla. So we have that option on all of our quesadillas to add French fries if you want. And then we serve it with a side of uh, a salsa, uh, salsa verde uh, cruda, which is a all raw salsa. So it's like tomatillos and jalapenos and lime and cilantro and avocado all pureed up together to get this bright green salsa. And that's what's served on the side with, with every quesadilla. And then back to the meats, we have, um, we have, uh, four different or five different meats. We have carne asada. We have like a slow roasted pork. Uh, we have an adobo chicken and then we have, uh, roasted mushrooms and onions, which is like a vegetarian version that comes in like a house made chili sauce. And then we do a vegan chorizo. Uh, which is Gracie's recipe. So you get these options to put inside of your quesadilla and you just pick one meat. Some people want to do double meat and add two different kinds. That's fine. Add in French fries, whatever, wrap it all up. And you got a great meal that has like all the different components right there inside to eat all together. It's a beautiful thing. 
This is um, this is quite an incredible concept, actually. I just, what is the? <laughs> Thank you. What is the? Um, what's the most popular item? Is it a traditional? I mean, I guess it's not traditional in this case. But what would be the most popular item you see individuals order from Suiza? Uh, I would say it's the carne asada uh, quesadilla, and uh, the carne asada is actually a. Uh, a recipe and a technique I learned from the San Diego side. Uh, so it's a very San Diego approach to carne asada. So I can't tell all the ingredients, but it's got like some orange juice in the marinade. This is for the, for the uh, flat meat that we use. It's like a really big skirt steak, uh, bavette in French, uh, whatever flat meat. Um, but it's a very traditional uh, meat to use uh, for carne asada. And so it's like the marinade's got like, it's house made chili paste and orange juice and a little bit of soy and a little bit of Worcestershire. So it's like a very San Diego style marinade um, that we really love. And then again, a lot of the individual components from the menu are recipes and techniques we've learned from people we've cooked with side by side for the last 20 years. And so in San Francisco, if, in, if the folks don't know this out there is that when you work in a kitchen in San Francisco, it's more than likely that more than half the people you're working with are from Mexico, which is an awesome thing because, again, the food is amazing, and it's more like that late-night situation where the cooks get hungry and maybe someone's going to make tacos from their hometown or they're going to make a pozole. Like we had a butcher at Postrio way back in the day that would make pozole, which is like this red – uh, porky, like red chili, kind of thicker soup stew with hominy in it, and you garnish it with like cilantro and onions and lime. It's just such a beautiful thing. And I just have this like wonderful memory of our butcher at the time making this for everyone at the end of the night and just passing it out, and everyone's so happy. We have a, a pineapple celery agar fresca that we got from our really good friend Juan Manuel that we worked with for over 10 years in San Francisco at multiple businesses and he would just make it for fun during the middle of the day and just be like, Hey, anybody want refreshing juice? And we tasted it and go like, wow, this is amazing. And he shows the technique. It's like mostly pineapple. And then he just purees in like one stalk of celery. And that's enough to just get it on the back of the pineapple. And it's like such a refreshing, beautiful agar fresca. So we serve that at the restaurant you know, some of the salsas we learned, my, my dad's uh, wife is Mexican um, and we cook with her a lot when we're back at home. She's a beautiful person and was amazing, cooks the best food. You know, she helped us uh, with this uh, salsa recipe that we were having trouble rounding the corner on and made it just so delicious. And so we're so lucky to be able to work with so many pe great people over the years and and uh, learn so many cool recipes from different cultures and whatnot. It's always, it's not just like the Vietnamese side. It's like our, our next best thing that we've got to work around is folks from Mexico. And we love the food. It's a celebration of the food. And we want to do it honor as well by doing it authentic. And I think we have because we're using a lot of these great techniques and recipes we learn from the people there. So what, um, What's the most exciting thing about this for you? I mean, you're creating concepts. How do, you, how do you even tell when these concepts are successful? I mean, we talked a little bit about Eastside Bon Me and like the interest, the anticipation, but I mean, Suiza is only three months old. How are, I mean, you're very excited about it. I'm excited about it. 
how do you know that these are doing well and going to last? Like, how do you gauge that you've been in the food game for a long time? You have an instinct. Like, what sort of tells you that? Again, um, just I just want to reemphasize it. I know we talked a little bit about it already, but let's go over it again because now we're talking about three restaurants, all different concepts, not a lot in common. How do you know when they're they're on their way or or that you're making the right decisions? Yeah, like you say, you know, we use our our um, you know varied experience of being in this business for such a long time and still love it. And so we do have a lot of instinct about why something will work or or what are some of the factors are. But again, it goes back to that whole engagement level of like, can you tell that people like this? You can watch people when they're eating it. You can get comments back from just regular customers, notwithstanding also industry folks that go like, wow, that's such a great idea. I never thought about that, you know, to get that kind of validation from your industry peers as well and other professionals that are in the business is huge. And like the feedback we've gotten from a lot of people um through that has been really really strong so i think that's part of it uh but also just the engagement by people like it gets people excited it's a colorful fun brand and we work with a really great branding uh company here in nashville called uh fresh branding and their ceo jesse and he has he and i have worked together and his team of course have worked together and done all the branding and identity for all the concepts here and um to see him get excited about something. Uh, Cause I kind of like, I, I kind of think of him as like the food expert locally. He's not a chef. He's not a restaurateur. He does this branding work for all the chefs, but also in restaurants, but also comes up with these really great marketing ideas and, and fun themes and just has a really good time. And I think like if he's into something and excited about something, then I think that's also like a real big piece of it. And I didn't know he had a lot of fun working on the project and once he heard about it, he was kind of like, this is cool, you know. So shout out to Jesse. He's amazing. Um, and if you need great branding done locally in Nashville, it's fresh. Um, but anyways, so I think it's like a combination of all that. But I think that just uh, engagement with the, the local community saying, like, this is so good. And um, we're so excited that you're here. This is a great idea and, and all that. Uh, I think I think you got to have to take all those pieces and put them together and and kind of know, but you'll never know because we're only two, you know, we're two and a half months in and um, we think it's a sustainable business because again, we're using like the, the building blocks we've used for all of our concepts, which are successful. So it should be, but we're, we're still only two and a half months in and we had a lot to do to actually, you know, tweak the business and make sure that it is um, hitting on all cylinders on paper and whatnot, which, you know, too, Justin is, is hard. It's not, again, you, it, it's a cool concept, but you can't just have a cool concept. You have to have a, a sustainable concept as well. And no matter how much we design something or create something with the success we've had in the past, each individual business needs fine tuning and tweaking and, and massaging and love and dedication and time spent on it. And so unlike any, uh, unlike, or like all businesses, Suiza needs that too. It's only two and a half months in. So we're, you know, uh, dialing into like, you know, purveyor costs and different things and looking at trends and looking at product mixes to see what's selling and what's not. We're running some specials to kind of test like what, what else we can do that's related to the quesadillas, but that doesn't take it outside of the concept, right? Uh, so we're kind of in that world of just having a really fun time with it after launch. And it's running really well and it's doing a great job. And we have a really great chef there. 
uh, Chef Will, uh, who I hope is going to be a long-term uh, partner on it as we try to scale it. So that's what we're doing with it. I love this. So my question, obviously, is this a repeatable business for you, Suiza? Is it something that you feel like every late night consumer could enjoy in cities across the United States? I know, we, again, the multiple unit thing, I keep saying it, but I do feel like, holy crap, this could really, you could really be on something. I know I've kind of asked this already, but like it is so uniquely different just in the description. And I haven't tried it yet, but I'm just like, it's much more appealing to me than having to put stuff on there myself, uh, the traditional sense. It's the flavor, the uniqueness of what you're doing is so different. And you've actually built a whole concept around it, which means you're concentrating on the quesadilla, which I feel like even Ghost Kitchen, the quesadilla is like an afterthought. It's like a third string, you know, waiting to get into the lineup. But here you're making it the starting lineup. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's super scalable. Um, and again, I don't think anyone's really done a, a pure quesadilla concept, just focused off of that. Now in a different environment, besides being in the food hall with where you really need to have a really, really dialed in concise menu. I do think that as a brick and mortar, it could develop slightly, not a lot, but just a little bit. And I won't go into what that looks like because I'm still developing it and I want that to be a little bit confidential. But there's a couple add-ons we could do to make it, uh, um, you know, a three-day a weeker for people or for families. And that's the goal. But, no, it's completely completely scalable. We're excited about it. It has all those, uh, like, kind of pillars that it needs to be to be scalable. And we're going to see if anyone wants to, to work with us on scaling it. So as we kind of put that together and come up with a real real estate strategy plan or a growth plan, as we're going to do in the next couple of months, we'll be looking for some partners as well to talk about that. So it's exciting times. And um, again, came to Nashville thinking that we would never scale um, a brand again. But like I, I can say I was wrong. Uh, this one is scalable and yeah. I want to do it. Yeah, it's almost like so, uh, the guy who started, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, um, Shake Shack, like he never wanted to be in in yeah. multiple units of the same concept, and then he discovered Shake Shack, and next thing you know, now yeah. you know how many there of those there are. There's actually one on Broadway downtown uh, on the bottom floor of Food Assembly Hall, uh, and that's kind of cool, along with um, Hattie B's Chicken. So we... Um, we, as entrepreneurs, I think, stumble across things. I think we have sometimes we have set ideas in our head. But in order to truly be a good entrepreneur in food, I think you need to have an open mind and you have to the willingness to pivot yep. for opportunity. And that's what we're talking about yep. here. So um, this will be my last question. And then just for the audience, we are going to get into your hospitality group at some point, Chad. We'll just have to set up another time to chat because I do want to dive. Sure fully into that i mean we might be able to go back to back but we've done a lot today talk to me about your and gracie's relationship you're both entrepreneurs you're both building these restaurants you've done asian box together you've done this together you've done that how do you find time running these restaurants and working on the relationship and also how do you differentiate between the businesses and your personal lives does that make sense yeah or so of a question yeah no, it's not. Um, it's not. It, let, let's just put it this way. It took us a really long time how to figure out how to work together. 
properly and in a good way where we weren't killing each other or wanting to get divorced or, or any of that stuff. Um, it took a lot. It took a lot for us to figure things out and to work through a lot of things. Now it's natural. It works really well. We've never been better partners than we are right now. Um, and I think we just have this like somewhat laissez-faire like approach to life when we do have time together is we just make the most of it. You know, we definitely try to carve out time for ourselves, but there's definitely time where we don't at all have time for our relationship or anything because of the business. Um, but we don't let that like really hamper our, our, our spirits and our thoughts at the time we grind through stuff, we figure it out, you know, and, um, Sorry, that's my alarm going off. I don't know why, but oh, payroll. There we go. Got uh-huh. on payroll, Justin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah. So it, it took us a while. We're in a really great place now. We love what we do. Um, we have a good uh, separation of duties where we're very complementary of what we do. She loves to be in the kitchen nonstop all day at all the concepts, just popping around and and spending time with the teams. I do a little bit more of the forward thinking business side of things and backing up uh, the the restaurants in terms of like an admin side or a directional way. Um, so we just find out what we're both really good at and we we do that now. And, and again, yeah, there's definitely some tough times where we don't get a lot of time together. Um, but there's also some really great times when we do and we really enjoy it when we do. We try to still carve out date nights. We still try to carve out um, you know, vacations together, all that stuff. But we also know what each other likes. And the funniest thing is that we don't like a lot of the same stuff. Like, for example, if she was to have one full day off, she would probably want to just hang out, watch junkie uh, TV and eat ramen in bed and like just rest with our dogs. That's what she likes to do. I, I would be out fly fishing all day. And so it's like we both have these separate things, but we respect each other's likes and we don't we're not one of those relationship or couples that has to force each other into being like we're gonna do the same thing there's never been one day where i'm like i'm gonna bring her out and and have her try fly fishing because that's what i love like i don't want to put her through that she's just gonna be happy at home just watching tv and resting that's what she wants to do you know i love that about her and i love that she doesn't mind if i say i want to go fly fishing for the day so just examples and again we're not better than any other couples out there but um, but we've kind of figured out how to make the best of everything and, uh, and have a really positive relationship. And, and definitely there's sometimes where it's not easy and there's sometimes where it's easier than it should be, but all in all, we have a really good balance and we really love what we're doing and we support each other and we back each other up, um, you know, on, on projects and, and tough times at all the stores. And when things do go sideways, we're there to support each other and, and help each other as much as possible. So but it took a long time to figure that out. A long time. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it took me a while to figure out that we don't, you know, just because I like something doesn't mean they need to like something. And it's not a deal breaker. They need their own thing. They need their own life. Yeah. They need their own friends. Yeah. Um, they need their yep. own purpose. Things like that or any relationship. The other person, when I say they in a relationship, not just male, female, yep. but any relationship that we have, you know, there needs to be individuality in those relationships. Uh I want to talk about you are here hospitality a little bit, but I think we should probably launch that because there's things like we talked about beforehand, like the SS guy, which is a concept 
that's come through your incubator, things like that. But I just want to let the audience know they should look at your hospitality concept. It is out there. We've talked about it. I am going to set up a time because I want to go through how you guys do that, what it means to work with you guys, because you're just such an extremely talented um, individual, one. Uh, you have quite an education through both schooling and hard knocks. You have the experience of running restaurants, scaling restaurants, multiple units, uh, everything from a quesadilla shop to fine dining, as we discussed in the first episode. So I definitely want to have you back on, Chad. But I want to just ask this question of you personally, and we touched a little upon it in the first episode. But I want to ask it again, like, who are who are role models or leaders that you have looked up to in your life? Because I think it's important that we anchor it again. We've we've gone three episodes in. I want to re-anchor this at the end of this episode. Like, who are the people that have really had impact on you, um, either in food or outside of food or in the entrepreneurial space or not? Just really defined you and given you your drive. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that's what's cool is that your kind of mentors and people you look up to kind of change throughout time, right? Because time is a, it's a long time, right? I'm 45 now. And so had a lot of people come in and out of our lives that have been really great or really on the negative side as well. Um, but that's kind of always changing and it's okay to have a new mentor at 50, for example, or whatnot. So I think that's kind of the cool thing is that you don't just have a mentor at one point in your life. Um, it kind of develops and you have multiple and, uh, you get some really good different layers off of that. But yeah, going back to what we kind of talked about on the first episode was, you know, my coach, Jim, at uh, soccer coach in high school was really great. Kind of learned the ins and outs about just being on time and punctuality and just doing the right thing and following through. And then also, you know, my parents were big, um, influences on me, both of them entrepreneurs themselves, um, in different ways. And, uh, you know, obviously just how to be a good person or, or maybe that's a natural thing. I don't know, but, uh, the whole hospitality piece, like from my mom of just being so welcoming when people came over and making sure they had a drink with their, with their dinner and all the little things like that, all the detail stuff. Um, and then, and, you know, obviously, uh, I've had some mentors on the work side. Like I, I think I talked about Jan Birnbaum, which was a chef that I got to work with, which was really, who was really great. And Jack Yoss, who was really great. Uh, another great mentor that kind of taught me how to cook. And then, you know, a current one that I really look up to is actually the CEO, the current CEO of Asian box, uh, right now, Chuck Imerson, uh, who I still get to talk to, you know, once a week. Um, and him and I call each other over a lot of stuff and just talk about stuff because we have similar businesses still. And he's running Asian box and doing a great job of it. They're back in growth. They've, you know, they just opened up at the airport at San Francisco airport and, uh, the Asian art museum in San Francisco. So he's doing a fantastic job and I've learned so much about the restaurant world and operations and every, everything about, you know, playing restaurants, uh, through him. Uh, so that's always been really great. So the mentors continue and, you know, who knows, maybe we'll have a new mentor in the next 10 years, which would be awesome. So, yeah, always be growing, always be learning, I think is a key to life, yep. actually. Uh, even in the relationship yep. piece that we were just talking about, you need to, both couples need to find things outside. I mean, both individuals in a relationship and a couple need to find things to grow outside of the relationship and inside the relationship. And then same professionally, like we have to grow. And I don't, 
you know, I watch so many people retire and they're like 68 years old and then have no purpose and then life doesn't go on very long. Like, I get it. Like, but we, you've got to find purpose. You've got to keep growing. You've got to keep learning. So for yep. you, Chad, what keeps you getting up every day? What keeps you going to these businesses? What keeps you expanding them? Like, what is what is the drive there for you? I think it's still like the same drive of what uh, had me fall in love with restaurants in the beginning was the ability to serve people and to make people happy through you know, food and hospitality and all that. And we still love what we do every minute of it. I still love welcoming guests into the restaurant. I still love cooking, even though I, I rarely do it anymore. I still love creating stuff. Uh, I think that's the new drive is like being able to create new concepts and having uh, the opportunity to test things out and to um, open restaurants. I think that's what it is more, a little bit more now, but just that idea of like hospitality is just what drives us and drives me and that's what keeps me waking up every day is just the ability to serve people and uh with food and beverage and and just a lot of love and and see that response of um satisfaction back is like probably the biggest thing ever i love it uh chad thank you so much for your time today we literally we've been going for two and a half hours um i appreciate the two episodes we've recorded today is there anything you want to share with the audience before we get off this episode? Uh, is there anything that you want to or you feel would benefit them or other food entrepreneurs out there? I mean, you're quite an amazing story. You've sold a business, you've relocated, you, you have the work history we talked about, but I feel like you have so much knowledge and I'm like, literally my right hand is so sore from writing all the notes. I filled four pages in my notebook here. Um, it's a marble notebook. I have each one for each of my podcasts because I like taking my own notes in case I ever write a book or something. Who knows if I'll ever find time to do something like that. Honestly, as an entrepreneur, I'm always creating. Writing a book seems like going backwards to me, but that's a whole other topic. But, um, you know, or living in the past, I should say. And um, But talk to me about anything that you want to say or things maybe we didn't discuss or how you lead or people maybe you mentor in the business that, you know, might help the audience? Well, I think like the biggest thing uh, for me is what it always comes down to and what we always try to work on. And we always try to perfect, even though perfection is unattainable. Um, it's just communication, you know, is the biggest thing with, with our team, with our customers, with our business associates if the communication is flowing at a really high level and we can all be better at about it, I can be better about it. I try to work on it all the time, but when you see general breakdowns or successes in the business, I really do think it's based off of proper communication. And so uh, if you're always trying to like really work on something or develop one area, I think it would be just communication skills and being able to talk to your peers, talk to your, your, your uppers, um, you know, talking to associates, talking to customers, you know, however it is, you know, just communication wise, just being the best communicator possible. I think that's the best uh, approach on everything. And I think it applies in almost everything in life too. you know, parents with their kids, kids with their parents, um, families, uh, just general humanity when people interact with each other. Right. Um, so that, that's my piece is just, if anything I could work on or try to be perfect at or and suggest that to anyone else out there that's looking for something is, you know, just be a great communicator. 
This is awesome. Uh, I agree with you actually 100% in relationships in life, like communication is key. I'm going through this right now, actually, in relationships and as an entrepreneur, like I'm a very clear, I give direction very well. I'm very straight to the point, but I don't always allow the communication back and forth because I'm always like on the go. I have a lot, a lot of businesses I'm trying to get off the ground and it, I do the podcast, I do the TV show, I'm relaunching Freedom Foods and trying to go back after all the food businesses we once had at Food Tourist Partners and and rebuild that with a new set of partners. Um, we're launching a Gorilla Brave, which is a food entrepreneur networking group that'll be housed in cities all over the country, particularly New York, Nashville, Los Angeles, Chicago, for example, Denver, uh, Miami, just to name the main six, as well as London, Dubai, um, to name some international cities and maybe even Cape Town, South Africa and Copenhagen, Denmark, since we're seeing food booms there. And then I'm not even getting into Asia where the food market's always booming there. It's just crazy the stuff they come up with over. And it's funny how we call it Asian because it's just there's so many different dynamics to it. Um, but that represent Asian food when there's Vietnamese food. Uh, Cantonese food, um, Thai food, Chinese food, which again is it just in China alone, there's tons and tons and tons of different types of food um, and, and ways those foods are built from the ocean all the way to inland. And so off on a tangent there, but I, I really enjoy your experience. I enjoy your talking to you, Chad. I enjoy doing the episodes with you more than than normal i can sometimes get in a rut or things can get very mundane even though i love all the food entrepreneurs that come on here but one of the things that i relate to you about is your hustle is your you're constantly going you're constantly creating you like doing your own logos you like creating the branding i freaking get that to a point like i don't i don't like outsourcing any of that stuff in my businesses i like being with a design team i like helping design the logos myself i like building the marketing materials uh because that is the brand you're selling a vision and you are the visionary and so the um uh it's really cool um thank you again chad will you just go through where all three locations are located online and physically and where they can find you personally online if they have any questions or, or want to reach you in any way. Yeah, so um, kind of the best place to find all that, and I'll still go through them individually, is just the You Are Here Hospitality website, uh, which is li- it's, it's, it's live right now. We're doing a brand new version of it that should be out any day now, but still all the information is there. Uh, so that's you are here. So just as it says, you are here, hospitality.com. And then um, obviously located in East Nashville. My personal Instagram is Chef Newton. So C H E F N E W T O N. That's my personal Instagram. Uh, you can follow on uh, some news there and what we're doing. And then we have Eastside Bomb That's at 1000 Gallatin Avenue in Nashville in East. Um, eastsidebondme.com uh, at eastsidebondme be careful with the NH there and bondme it's B-A-N-H not the H before the N uh, usual pitfall there um, and we also have uh, ESP which is Eastside Fa on Instagram and then it's uh, uh, eat uh, ESP 
com for the website and then Suiza is Suiza super quesadilla on Instagram and the same for uh, uh, website Suiza super quesadilla fun times yeah I just made sure I followed all of your accounts because you have tons of them so you'll see like Justin Bizarro followed every one of your accounts there um, nice. and, and I will follow it from our Justin the Food Entrepreneurs page as well but Chad, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Um, this has been hugely valuable. And anyone in the audience, share the episodes again. Give them five stars. Give them good ratings. Write a comment. Give the podcast itself a good rating. You know, we're spreading the word here. As we discussed before, we're now over 140 countries now. We've been heard all over the world in a world that has 200, less than 200 countries in it. And... Um, you know, that's quite a, quite a statistic for everyone. So I appreciate everyone. I appreciate everyone listening to our show. Again, I love you guys. If you want to find us, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. You can find all of the shows that we do there. You can also find me personally at Justin Bizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O on Instagram, Facebook, and threads. You can also find this show uh, at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs on Instagram and on Facebook. And lastly, share, guys. Um, food entrepreneurs need to know they're not around, alone in the world, and there's lots of us everywhere. It's the biggest industry in the world. And even in suppressed countries with less freedom, there are still entrepreneurs running mom-and-pop shops. There's still entrepreneurs running restaurants. It's hard, it's hard to believe that, but there is freedom in food entrepreneurism all over the world. If we voted together as a party, we'd be the largest government party in the world, food entrepreneurs. We build legacies. We have independence and freedom in our businesses. That's why food may not seem glorious all the time, but I will tell you it is the freest industry and profession in the world. Think about it. You'll know it's true. If you really logically think about how many places you've been in the world or when you look at even Russia or China, there are restaurants, there are markets, there are farmers markets, all true, all food entrepreneurs. So thank you guys for listening in. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. And we're out. <laughs>